last week, uh, we asked the question, who is Jesus and what has he done for you? And we answer those questions by saying that Jesus is the Savior and he has rescued us. And so we looked at why we needed to be saved in the first place, why we needed to be rescued. And we also saw why and how Jesus is alone uniquely able and he alone can be our rescuer and savior. And today we ask, what is a Christian? And what does a Christian do? And we un- answer these questions saying, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so that's what we are going to be exploring this morning. And the first thing I'd like to draw your attention to is that Jesus changes us. Jesus changes us. Now, being a Christian means that you are and we are all the subjects of God's great transformative work. In other words, being a Christian means that God is changing you. And we see that clearly in this passage, don't we? Uh, Paul began this passage by showing us what we are and what we were without Christ. So in verses 1 through 3, Paul told us that we, without Christ, not just the, the Gentiles who lived in superstition and paganism, but Paul included himself and all the Jews in it, that without Christ, we were all dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And when Paul says that we were by nature, he means that sin was not just a peripheral issue to our being and to our lives. That when we sin, it wasn't just a, a momentary lapse of judgment, but by nature, we are sin, sinful through and through. And that is why by nature, we deserve God's wrath. Or to put it differently, according to justice, now what is justice? Justice is giving to everyone what they deserve. To those who deserve praise, it is justice to give them praise. To those who deserve punishment, it is justice to give them punishment. Justice is giving to everyone what is due. And so if God were to treat us according to justice, we only deserve judgment. But God, God gave us grace. And so verses 4 through 7, this is what Paul wrote. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
God in grace has raised the dead. We who are dead in our trespasses and sins, we who are spiritually dead, destined for eternal death, God in grace raised us up with Jesus. And we who are in bondage to the world of flesh and the devil, God in grace liberated us. And we who are doomed to the prisoner's gallows, God in grace exchanged the prisoner's gallows with the throne of the king. We belonged in the dungeons awaiting our death sentence. But God took us and he seated us with Christ on his throne. That's what God has done in grace. And then in the rest of the passage, we see how utterly Jesus changes us. Go back to verse 1, would you? There Paul tells us that we were without Christ, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, walking is an idiom from the Old Testament, uh, which means a lifestyle. To walk in the Bible means to live. It describes the way you are, your characteristic way of life. So Paul tells us that uh, without Christ, we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But notice verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So do you see what happens between verse 1 and 10? We who once walked in trespasses and sins, we end up walking in the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. So this is a passage that begins with walking and ends with walking, but the two walks are polar opposites. We no longer live in sin the way used to but we now live in Jesus. But notice here, and this is really important, notice here that Paul, he is not in a hurry to tell us what that new life in Jesus looks like. Now, Paul will tell us, and he will tell us quite a bit before this letter is over, a specific practical things that teach us what it means to walk in the new life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice for now, Paul's emphasis is on the source of our new life. In other words, before Paul tells us what we need to do, Paul makes sure that we understand what God has done. And this is such an important point because it seems to me that many Christians today, they rush over what God has done because they're in such a hurry to get to what we should be doing. But when you rush over what God has done and put all your focus and attention and energy on what you should be doing, you notice that that is exactly the opposite of what Paul is doing. And we need to lovingly and deeply dwell on what God has done for us in Christ. 
It all begins there. It all ends there. The beginning, the middle, and the end of our Christian life are all in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that, that is the only thing that can sustain our Christian life. So that's what we need to observe, first of all, in this passage. Jesus changes us. Secondly, grace saves us. Grace saves us. Now notice what the Holy Spirit through the uh, Apostle Paul is teaching us. The Holy Spirit grounds our new life in God's grace. So look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now there is some discussion about what the word this means here when Paul says, and this is not your own doing. And sometimes people argue that the word this is pointing to the word faith that, just, that comes just before it. Uh, that's actually not the case. Uh, the Greek language, words have genders, uh, like Spanish, for example. In the Greek language, words have genders. Some words are masculine, some words are feminine, some words are neuter. Um, and it's the, it's the basic convention of the language that when you are referring to something, you use words in the same gender. But the Greek word for faith is in the feminine gender, and the Greek word for this is in the neuter gender, meaning Paul is not referring to faith per se when he says here, and this is not your own doing. Now, does that make it false? No. Faith is a gift from God, as Paul tells us. But Paul is actually referring to everything that he's talked about in verses 1 through 10. How we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has raised us. We have been liberated. We belonged in the dungeons, but we are now seated, in, uh, seated upon the throne of Christ. Who's done this? God. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So what Paul is saying is that our transformation from being dead to being alive, our transformation, our liberation from bondage, and escaping God's wrath and receiving instead His favor, all these things have their origin in God. When we talk about free grace, we do not just mean that we have not paid for it. When we talk about free grace, recognize and understand that grace is free, most importantly, in the sense that God is not obligated to give it. If we could somehow offer up to God something of worth, so that it would be unjust for God to withhold heaven from us, then salvation would no longer be a gift, but it would be a wage that God owes us for the services rendered. 
but our salvation from beginning to end. It is not our doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God's grace. Paul is telling us. What is grace? Grace is a very popular word, isn't it? Our church is named grace. And we use the word a lot. And the problem with using a word a lot is that we stop thinking about it when it becomes too common. But grace is the favor that God shows to people who have forfeited every claim to blessing. That's what grace is. Grace is the favor that God shows to people who who are not spiritually neutral, people who have done neither good nor bad, blank slates as it were. That's not what grace means. Grace is the favor that God shows to people who are sinful through and through, who are depraved, ruined, stained, Yes, evil through and through. People who have done everything to demonstrate that they deserve wrath and judgment. And God extends his loving kindness to such people. Not because we were in any sense good or deserving, but as Paul tells us in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Grace is the gift that comes from God's merciful and loving heart, a favor that he shows to people who deserve wrath and judgment. You know, some people say that God grants his favor to those who choose him. Some people say that God grants his favor to those that God foresees will do something good in their future. But do you see that that has nothing to do with what Scripture is teaching? It actually contradicts what Scripture says. Grace is an undeserved, not just unmerited, but demerited favor. We have done everything to absolutely demonstrate that we deserve wrath and judgment. But God, out of the depths of his mercy and grace, he shows us saving grace. It's not our doing in any part, big or small. It's all God's work. Now, this is where some people say, might say, but do we not offer up to God something? Do we not offer up to God faith? Look how Paul says, by grace you have been saved through faith. Surely faith is what we offer up to God, and God responds to our faith and saves us. Well, you misunderstand. Faith is not a work of righteousness that we offer up to God. Faith is rather coming to God with empty hands and saying, God, I have nothing. I have nothing with which to change your mind about me. 
There's nothing that you can see in me that will convince you that I deserve praise instead of wrath. I have nothing but sin. So I come with empty hands, trusting only in the merits of Jesus Christ. Sins as terrible as mine, only the precious blood of Jesus can wash away. A promise as great as heaven, only the righteousness of Christ can secure for me. So faith is coming to God and saying, I have nothing, give me Jesus. And that's really important for you to understand because as soon and as long as you think faith is something that you offer up to God, then it matters how strong your faith is. And as soon as you think, and as long as you think faith is something that you offer up to God, then it matters infinitely the quality of your faith. Are you offering up to God good quality faith? Are you offering up to God strong faith? And as long as we think faith is something that we bring to God, which makes God respond to us with favor, then you are back to fear, despair, and darkness. But if we recognize that faith is not a work of righteousness, but coming to God with empty hands, then it's not the quality of your faith that matters or the size of your faith that matters because, well, let's face it, the quality of your faith is bad. The size of your faith is smaller than even than a mustard seed. But as long as we recognize that faith is empty hands with which we come to God and ask for Jesus, what faith tells us is that Jesus is enough. And that's what faith is. We're not offering up to God something good that convinces God to love us. We are simply coming to God with empty hands and we say to God, I have nothing. I need Jesus. That is why Paul says in verse 9 that our salvation is not a result of works so that no one may boast. If we have any part in achieving our salvation, then we can boast. If God saves you because your faith is so wonderful, then you can boast in, uh, before God. Hey, I played a part. And you can boast before people, see, my faith is stronger than their faith. But Paul says, not before God, because God saves sinners by grace. And that brings us to the third thing I'd like to draw your attention to, which is new creation defines us. New creation defines us. So once again, we ask, what is a Christian? Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Now, Paul means by created in Christ Jesus something that is only true of people who have been saved by grace through faith. There is, of course, a sense in which, true sense in which, Jesus is the creator of all things. Jesus is the creator of believers and unbelievers alike. But that's not what Paul is talking about. When Paul talks about here that we are created in Christ Jesus, that is something that is only true of people who have been saved by grace and by faith. Paul means new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, there Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And both there in 2 Corinthians 5 and here in Ephesians chapter 2, the new creation that Paul is referring to is something more than the quality of our Christian life. In the sense that we might say, you know, I used to live in one way, but now I have a new life. That may be true, but that's not Paul's focus here. What Paul means is that we have been made a part of God's gracious kingdom in Jesus Christ, and our belonging to it is God's workmanship. Once again, the fact that you are saved, the fact that you belong to Jesus' new creation, it has nothing to do with what you have determined. It has nothing to do with what we have chosen. And it has nothing to do with what you have accomplished. But it is all about, as Paul told us in chapter 1, God who has predestined people, God who has elected his people, God who has united his people to Jesus, the fact that you are saved, the fact that you belong to the kingdom of grace, it is God's workmanship. It is what God has done. That is why our most defining identity you know, when you meet someone for the first time, when you introduce yourself, what do you say about yourself? Um, do you mention your job? Do you mention where you live? I suppose those things have their places, certainly. But can I put it to this way? Maybe the first thing that you should mention to people is that you belong to Jesus. Because that, that is your most defining identity, that you are in Christ and you are his new creation. And you build your life upon that foundation. Before we were in Christ, we were in bondage to the world, we were in bondage to the flesh, and we were in bondage to the devil. We did their bidding. We walked in their steps. We did what people around us expected us to do, what people around us told us to do. We did what felt right. You know, that's being in bondage to the flesh. 
when we say things like, "If it feels so good, how can it be wrong?" Follow your heart. That's being in bondage to your flesh. And we were in bondage to the devil, rebelling against God at every turn. But now, we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Whatever we do, we do to honor the Savior who gave His life. And whatever we do, we do to please the King who deserves every honor. This is the good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But every believer, every Christian who has seriously attempted to walk with Christ, knows how hard and difficult it can be. Doesn't it feel like to you sometimes that? You are walking with a limp. If only Christian life feels like a nice stroll through the park with the scent of fresh spring flowers in the air, with the beautiful breeze on your back. Christian life doesn't feel like that, or often. Following Christ and walking with Him often feels like walking with a limp. We walk slowly. We walk with pain, and we walk clumsily. And that is why it's so important for you to remember that you are God's workmanship. Can I put it to you this way? An artist only puts his name on works he is proud of. An artist puts his art on display and signs his name because he wants the whole world to see, "I've done this. This is my work. I'm proud of it. I'm sharing it with you." And when Paul tells us that we are his workmanship, you know, it goes back to what Paul said in verse seven, so that in the coming ages. He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And if I can carry that metaphor a little bit, eternity is like you and I being on display, and God has put His name on us, and then God declares to the whole cosmos, "Do you see?" My treasured possession. Do you see what I have done? Do you see the beauty in what I have done? And that is why it's so important when walking with Christ feels like walking with a limp. That you need to remember that you are His workmanship. That God. With joy and with pride, put his name on you, and he looks at you and he says, "To the whole cosmos, he says to the angels, 'Do you see what I have done? Do you see my beloved? Do you see the beauty? Do you see my accomplishment?'" 
That's what it means when it says that you are his workmanship. And so do you see this? You know, it, it, it bothers me and makes me sad when teachers and pastors tell struggling Christians and their remedy for struggling Christians is you need to remember your duty. You need to try harder. In my experience, every struggling Christian knows that they're failing. Every struggling Christian knows that they are not living as well as they should be. And it does not help them at all to tell them, you need to do better. You need to try harder. Remember your duties. And that's why, ultimately, giving struggling Christians the law or threatening them with fear of judgment is counterproductive because it will not sustain them in the Christian life. What will, though, what will sustain struggling Christians, what will cheer the heart of a weary believer is to tell them and remind them, you are God's workmanship. He is proud of you. He delights in you. And you are the trophy of his grace that he will display to the entire cosmos for eternity. And you will be the wonder for ages. So remember that. If you are walking with a limp, if you say to yourself, how hard can walking be? It can be plenty hard. So remember, you are God's workmanship. Remember who you are, and remember what you are in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that nothing about our eternal security, nothing about our place before you, nothing about your goodness to us is about what we have done or what we have offered up to you, but it is all about your immeasurable grace, your deep mercies to us. Oh, we thank you, Father, that we do not have to lean on our own strength or our own righteousness, but we can lean on the Lord Jesus Christ and find that we have peace with you that we are, for his sake, loved, cherished, and kept. So, Father, I pray that the wonder, the beauty, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would so fill the hearts of your people this morning that in their weary trials they may find joy, that in their struggles they will remember that you love them and you treasure them, and that you are deeply delighted in your people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.